Good morning. You got, am I on? Yeah. All right, good. Well, we're in Galatians chapter 1. If you want to turn there in your Bibles with me today, Galatians chapter 1. I'd appreciate that. We are continuing our series in Galatians that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Yeah, all right, it's only the second week and you got it. Good job. Galatians chapter 1. So uh, last week we, we talked about uh, the initial greeting that Paul gave to the church of grace and of peace. And uh, it was more, you know, it was one of those things he went right into kind of uh, correcting the Galatian church or churches uh, because of their, their errors of going to, towards a different doctrine, a doctrine that wasn't of grace. And he wanted to remind them that it's about grace. It's all about grace. If you don't have grace, there's no way that you can have any peace, right? And so he said, grace and peace to you. And this is from God, and it's about God, and it's through Him and for His glory. He wanted to remind them that it was about His glory, and He gets the credit. Um, there's, there's just a, a notion in Galatians. This, this book is, is called, or has been called, the Christian Declaration of Independence. It's one of those that we can say, I, I'm declaring I am free. I am free in Christ, and I'm not bound by anything anymore because He has set me free. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed, Right? And uh, it gives us this picture of the, the Holy Spirit gives us, gives us a picture of spiritual freedom, what that looks like throughout uh, this, this letter written to the Galatian churches. Those churches were in a southern part of Turkey, in the central Turkey, in a region called Galatia. And those churches included Antioch and uh, Lystra and Derbe and, and um, Iconium, uh, different, different churches that you'll see uh, in Acts chapter 13 and 14, visited by Paul and visited by Barnabas and, and other apostles to to share the gospel and then to come back and strengthen those churches, that they would be strong and rooted on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And what was happening, though, in Galatia, see, we, we think that it's not that bad of a church, it's not too much going on because there's not a, a lot of harsh, crazy living, although we talk about that later in, in this scripture. We tend to think like the, the, the letter to the Corinthian church, that they were the bad church, they were the bad kids, right? And these Christians were going crazy and Paul had to correct them, which he did. But but here, it was no not so much a lifestyle, like, like obedience issue, it was, a, it was a doctrinal issue. The heart of the gospel was being undermined by false teachers. And, and Paul and Barnabas had just been there and fought just fiercely for the purity of the gospel and, and shared the gospel not only with, with people who were uh, Jews and a Jewish sect, now they became Jewish believers, uh, and then some that were just kind of loosely Jewish but, but embraced Christ. And then there were the, the Gentiles who, who were like, whoa, deer in the headlights, Jesus, this is awesome, I want this, I need this. And they also put their faith in Christ. So there's this whole gamut of believers who were there uh, with different traditions, different backgrounds, different histories, like all of us come to the table, don't we? We all come to the table with a different history, a different background, but there's still one Jesus, there's still one gospel. And, and these false teachers were, were showing up saying, oh, are you sure it's just Jesus? Maybe there's something else that needs to be added to that. So grace, the grace of God, the finished work of Jesus was being trampled on and, and the message of works righteousness was being presented. And, and it's very important that you understand what that means. What they were saying was, it's not enough to trust in Jesus alone. And, 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 and under their breath, in the fine print, what they're saying is, Jesus didn't do, I'm sorry, Jesus didn't do all the work. He, he didn't do everything necessary. You have to add something to it. And it works righteousness means, I've got to do something. I've got to behave a certain way, add a certain tradition, and, and do it regularly, faithfully, in order to earn God's favor. And I, I talked about last week, that, that is the same mentality of every single world religion and cult and way of thinking in the, in the whole um, world 
right? It's the same way. It's works. If we do something, we will earn it. It's the same way of thinking worldwide. Doesn't matter what religion you are, what cult you're in, what, what you might have thought or believed, what tradition you had, you earn. It's a moral, morality based system. Where what, what was presented by Paul and Barnabas was not a morality based system, it was a grace based system of Jesus Christ. That Jesus was the propitiation for us. He was that person who went in our place on the cross and accomplished what you and I could never, ever accomplish or hope to accomplish. And because of his grace, we have peace in our lives. Grace and peace. So the first couple of chapters, what we're going to see in, in chapters 1 and 2, is this real personal, personal like Paul and the Galatian churches thing going on. He wants to make sure you, they know, like, listen, don't you remember me? I was there. I, I presented this gospel. You knew me. You saw me. You heard my story. I told you my testimony. Others that were with me backed it up. The message that we presented was truth. You've got to hold on to that. Paul wants them to know there is truth there. The message of the gospel is truth. So the first two chapters of this book are, are going back to, don't you remember that? That, yeah, we do have some credit here. We have some credentials here, but it's not even about us. It's about the message that God gave us to preach to you. And you are, you are allowing the credentials of someone else presenting a different message to outweigh that. So you got very personal. It gets very personal in the first two chapters. Chapters 3 and 4, then he switches more to doctrine. Okay, so it's about grace. What does that mean? How, how do we understand and how do we, how do we define salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? And he, and he goes through chapters 3 and 4 and talks about how that is absolutely the case, that it's about grace and not the law. And the law wor- worked to put, point us to grace and that we needed grace and Jesus fulfilled the law. And then in, finally in chapters 5 and 6, we see this, this practical way it's lived out because, yes, we are saved by faith or by grace through faith, and then we are to live our lives transformed by that grace. And that our lives should be lived in lives of grace. And that should be a response to what he's done. And that, that, that will show the fruit in our lives will show that we have a saving faith inside of us. That his grace really did save us. That he really is transforming us. And the last two chapters show this is practically how this is lived out. So that's, that's where we're heading. Okay, That's the overarching where we're heading. I'm excited about that. I'm excited to see, see us clearly embrace the gospel. And I said this last week, I don't know if it was this service or last, uh, early service, but I, I felt like I, sometimes I preach the same thing over and over and over. And today there's even a scripture we'll use where Peter says, I, I, I feel like I have to remind you, and we need a reminder all the time, don't we? And that's what we do. We come back, oh yeah, get, get in the game, get the reminder, oh yeah, that's right, oh yeah, that's right. And I feel like that whenever I hear a sermon or message, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, oh yeah, that's right. I've got to reinstill what, what is right, what is true inside of me, that we would be reminded about the truth and the purity of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, so we're going to start in, in, uh, in chapter 1, verse 6 today. We'll cover verses 6 through 10. All right, let's, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for your great love for us, for the word that you have given us to inspire us and change us and challenge us. God, it's our desire that you would judge the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. God, we want to, we want to leave here not pleasing people, but pleasing you, being conformed in the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. So change us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. You ready? Paul says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but that there are some who are troubling you 
and want to change the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven could preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As I have said before, I say now again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, a curse be on him. For am I now trying to win the favor of people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a good servant of Jesus Christ. So what we're going to look at today is, is this. He, he opens up with an introduction in 1 through 5. And he, he says, like, grace and peace. It's about grace and peace through Jesus. To him be the glory. It's all about his, the credit going to him. Let's get, get ourselves on track. He's snapping him in there. And, and then what he says is, okay, it's, it's on. Like the, We've left. We, we went there. We preached the gospel. We left. We came back. We encouraged you. We strengthened you. We left. And now we're hearing that, that people are coming in trying to, to sway your way of thinking. And Paul says, it is, it is on. I'm, get, I'm putting the gloves on. I'm putting the tape on. I am going to get in that ring and that cage or whatever it is, and we are going to fight it out. I am not going to settle for someone changing the gospel. So what Paul does is, is today we see him contending for the gospel. He gets in there and contends for the gospel, and he, and he shows us how to contend for the gospel as well. So that's what we're going to look at today. How do we contend for the gospel? And, and by the way, that's a battle. I, I know I use a boxing match or a fighting match but, uh, illustration, but it is a battle for us. We have to wage war every time we leave these doors, and sometimes in, the, in, this, in this place, against what we hear that it might be the truth and not false. Because when you walk out those doors, I guarantee you, you're going to hear a ton of lies of what is false. And if you aren't ready to go, if you haven't taped up, put your gloves on and go, go to battle, go to fight, you're going to get knocked out. We have got to be ready for that battle. We've got to be ready to contend for the gospel. So number one, how do we contend for the gospel? Be amazed. Be amazed. Now this works on, on two fronts, and I want us to understand this. Let's think about Paul and Paul's history. Right, so Paul was this, this Jewish believer, okay, not a believer in Christ. He was, he was a, a devout follower of Judaism. And he, he, he was in this religious sect of Ju Judaism that, that totally believed that the Messiah would come one day, and they, they followed these rules and rituals and regulations. And he was an, an ardent follower. You know, there were some Pharisees that were in the, in the New Testament when Jesus said, you're like a whitewashed tomb. You look good on the outside. You're saying the right things and maybe doing the right things, but your heart is not in it. That was not the case with Paul. Paul's heart was in the middle of it. Now, he was still far from God, and he was, he was zealous for his religion, zealous for his tradition. He held on to those. He was the strictest legalist that you could find. Those other, the other ones are hypocrites, the ones that were whitewashed tombs. They would say, but they wouldn't do, right? They would say, but they wouldn't really believe. Paul said and did what he believed. He was the strictest legalist there was. He was working to work out his own, his own righteousness, his own salvation on his own, according to the works of the law. So Paul, we have to understand and remember, Paul is very familiar and, and super experienced in a works righteousness system. He has all the cloud in the world to talk about it and to explain it because he understands it better than anybody. But then we see in Acts 9, right, we saw Paul on the road to where? Damascus. And what does Jesus do? He roughs him up a little bit, doesn't he, and blinds him. He says, Paul, why are you persecuting Saul? Why are you persecuting me? What, what are you doing? You're, you're in this zealous sect of Judaism, and you're believing these things, and you're doing these things so much so that you're, you're not even open to Jesus. You're not even open to the Messiah, and that's me. Paul, don't you understand that the law points to the grace? The law points to the fact that you can't keep the law. 
Don't you understand? You need me. I'm the Messiah. And Paul, whatever else that conversation entailed, Paul had this moment where God dealt with him and he dealt with Jesus. And where he embraced then a grace-filled righteousness. You see, Paul knew he was far from God. And if you read his epistles and his, and his, his other parts in the scripture, there, there are tons of places. He calls himself the chief of all sinners. And he counts his whole list of credentials and everything that he that was to gain, everything that he could count as clout. It's like, it's like dung. It's in, the, it's in the poop pile over here. It's, it's worthless. Compared. He's an expert. All the, things he, all the things he was an expert at are worthless compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, right? I have all things. Paul says, see, Paul is an expert both on works righteousness, and now what's he an expert on? Grace-filled righteousness. He's an expert at this. So when he goes to contend, he understands what it is to be amazed at the grace of God. Because that is how God has treated him. And he understands how far away from God he was and how far God dragged him back to where he needed to be. And as, as Paul's saw at that point, as his heart humbled, as it, as it emptied and as he mourned over, over, the, over the sin in his own life, he came to a place of absolute emptiness that he had nothing, nothing to offer God. Everywhere else you'd look, you'd think, oh, he has tons to offer God. He had nothing to offer God. And in that meekness, in that moment of emptiness, he hungered and thirsted for a righteousness that was not his own. And guess who filled him up? Jesus did. Jesus filled him. No measure of works could fill him. No good deeds, no traditions, no ideals. Jesus filled him. And that's the righteousness that we need, is from Jesus. Amen? So for you and I who have experienced that, who have gone to our knees humbly before God and said, God, I, I don't want anything to do with what I've been doing. It's not filling me up. It, it counts for nothing. And when we stand before him or kneel before him and ask that he fill us up, for those of us who have let him fill us up with his righteousness, we ought to be amazed at him. If you want to contend for the gospel, every day be amazed at the gospel. Be amazed at what Christ has done for you. I should be amazed at what Christ has done for me. Be amazed. And Paul was amazed. But when he starts this out, he was amazed at, at something else too, wasn't he? He said in verses 6 through 7a, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel. Paul said he's amazed. He was not amazed, I think, that there were false teachers. We get warnings of that all throughout Scripture. There will be false teachers that arise. He was amazed that the Galatian Christians were interested in them. What happened to standing firm? What happened to, to standing firm on what we have seen and heard and experienced? What happened to being amazed at the gospel of Jesus Christ? Listen, if Jesus plus nothing equals everything, then why in the world would we add something to everything? That was, that's what Paul's pondering here. Well, it's the trickle-down effect. That's how we add things to it. Things tend to trickle down. It's pretty amazing what, uh, what children take in, isn't it? It, it? it still amazes me all the time, the things my daughter or son might say. Like, where did you hear that? 
where did you hear that phrase? I, I've never said that. Did your mother talk like that when I'm gone? You know, or vice versa? Or did you get that at school? Did someone else? Have, and usually, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just, they hear, they pick it up. Maybe it was a commercial they saw at their grandma's house. Who knows, right? But kids pick things up, don't they? We hear and we learn by seeing. We learn by other people doing. So in Galatia, here's what was happening. I, I mentioned these kind of three groups. There was this ardent Judaist um, followers of Judaism who, who converted, said, I, 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 I'll trust Christ. But, but really, some of them really didn't because they were holding on to these traditions and other laws and regulations. And they said, oh, yeah, Jesus, but all oh, about this stuff. And then there were the Judaist follow, or Judaism followers of, uh, of Christ who abandoned the way of Judaism and said, yeah, it's, it's Judaism, but it's Jesus. It's, it's all of Jesus. And then the Gentile believers who were like deer in the headlights, right? They kind of watched from afar this weird religion happening. And then, and then there was Jesus on the scene. And then there were people taught and preached about Jesus and, and, and grace alone, in faith alone, right? By faith alone and Christ alone. And they embraced Christ. Like, yes, we have a Savior. But they were young in their faith. And young, when you're young in your faith, you have to be diligent about searching the Scriptures and growing in truth. Try not to be slow in that. Wean yourself off from milk and being a baby to grow up and be a kid that eats meat and potatoes. But if you can't or haven't yet, you're likely going to look and follow what you're, what you're watching. So what I'm saying is it was easy, easier at least, for these Gentile believers and some of these Jewish believers to, to kind of look at these, these other Jewish, quote-unquote, believers who were really wanting to add to the gospel, and they'd look at them and say, well, they've got to be right. I mean, they've been doing this for years. They wouldn't, they wouldn't lie to me, right? They wouldn't, and it looks like what they're doing is good. They say Jesus, right? And that's, this is that phrase. Listen, this, you'll hear this in your friends. you hear this in other churches, right, that don't really hold to the gospel. We believe in Jesus, too. Oh, oh okay, you, then you're a friend. You're a brother or sister, and I'll embrace you as such. And really, they're not brothers and sisters, they're false teachers. Because God had called them into his grace and saved them from their sins. But they were now becoming infatuated with the religion of the Judaizers. They're like, oh, yeah, I can see how this fits. I can see how this ties in. I, I, need, I have Jesus, but I need these other things, too, because it, it, it makes it even more, you know, like, like more clout to it. It's, it's more heavy with that. But I want you to understand, we will either delight in and enjoy the pure gospel of grace, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, He will guide us and direct us by that. So we'll enjoy and delight in the, in the power of grace by the Holy Spirit, or we will desert the one who resides in us for the appetites of our flesh and the satisfaction of our egos. Satan is really good at stroking your ego, like, oh, come here, I'll show you, this will be great, you're going to like this, it's going to make you look better, be better. We have to continually remind ourselves to rest in the peace that comes from God and His grace and not nervously or insecurely begin adding things to our lives that will not fulfill us. It's about grace and peace. So when you have that peace, be at peace. Rest in peace. Don't get all anxious and nervous and insecure and say, oh, well, I gotta be doing something more. I gotta be adding this. If I don't have this, I don't have, I don't have life. There is certainly a natural response that occurs from our heart to Jesus when he saves us by his grace. And there's a transformation that he is doing inside of us by the power of his Holy Spirit. So don't try to outdo him. That's what people do. They add to the gospel, they try to outdo God and the power of his Holy Spirit. There is no other gospel. You know, Paul mentioned in this verse in, in the beginning of verse 7. 
He said, you're, you're turning to another, part, another gospel, which what? But, but, uh, which is really no gospel at all. Not that there is a different gospel. If it's not good news, if it's not the good news, what is it? It's the bad news. We, there's not another good news. There's one good news. Uh, Romans eleven six 6 says this. Now, if by grace, if we're saved by grace, then it's not by works. Otherwise, grace ceases to be grace. That's just what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. God gives you something that you don't deserve. If you earned it, it's called a paycheck. Good job. You, you got what you earned. God gives us grace because we don't deserve it. He gives us grace because we haven't earned it. And, and as we trust in Him, listen, our hearts, our hearts in this constant change of turning. God's turning our heart and our affection from ourselves, from our old way of life, from our sin, from our sin nature. And He's turning it more and more towards the Son, Jesus Christ. But as our heart turns, we need to be aware that even though we're no longer bound to the flesh and bound to sin because of Jesus, if we do not continually renew our minds in the awe and amazement of the gospel and position ourselves, and listen, it's important, position yourself in a place to be molded by his word and by his spirit, confusion and distraction will try and invade. Satan is looking for a place to wiggle himself in. A place where you have not let, uh, you have, you've let your guard down. A place that you are ready in, in, to, to let something else take over your thinking. S- Satan wants to try and invade with confusion and distraction. So you and I need to be amazed at the gospel every day so we can avoid being distracted. How else do we contend? Number two, don't reverse the gospel. Don't reverse the gospel. Let's go on in verse 7, the second part of it. There are some who are troubling you and want to change the gospel of Christ. There are some that are troubling you and want to change the good news about the Messiah. Change, to change it. Like we said a minute ago, like if you change the gospel to another gospel, it's really no gospel at all. I want you to understand, false teachers do not walk around wearing a t-shirt that says, hug me, I'm a false teacher. They don't, they don't identify themselves, saying, I'm going to lead you astray. What, what is Satan called? The angel of light. See, we think of this devil in pitchforks like you're listening to the devil or an angel. Come on, if there's a devil on my shoulder and an angel on my shoulder, I'm not listening to the devil. Like, he looks all scary and crazy, and, and he's, he's got horns and a pitchfork. I don't want anything to do with that. It, he's, he's not going to tell you, come over to my side where there's lots of destruction and fire. That's not appealing to us. It only is appealing when the angel of light sets in front of us and says, this is actually pretty good. You might try this. You might be more fulfilled if you try this. False teachers don't walk around saying, I'm a false teacher. They're like their father, Satan. They prowl around looking for whom they might devour. They're looking for the the weakest heart and the weakest mind, and then they pounce on it and envelop those insecurities there by presenting something, maybe this is more fulfilling. Maybe this is more rewarding. Don't you, don't you deserve this? Wouldn't this be nice? So you and I have to be on the lookout. We have to be watchful. The Galatians were not being careful or watchful for false teachers. And these false teachers were throwing them into confusion. 
with their disturbing additions to the gospel. I, and I can call them disturbing now. And Paul could call them disturbing. Who's disturbing you? But this word is, who's, who's confusing you? Those, those things were not disturbing to the hearers. Maybe for some, they were like, oh, I don't know. okay, that looks good. Everyone else is doing it. It was an angel of light presenting a different way. It didn't look disturbing. It looked good. But for you and I to be contenders of the gospel, we have to understand to be amazed at the gospel and, and wonder in awe at the gospel, and then we can't reverse it. And when it is reversed, we have to identify it. That's wrong. The word change in this sentence, the word it says, they want to change the good news. The word change also says it's to pervert or distort. It carries the idea, if you look at the, the, the roots of this, it carries the idea of a reversal, like a turning around and going the other, oh, it's almost like repentance, turn around and go the other direction. It means to set behind what was in front and, and to set in front what was behind. They distort the gospel by reversing the gospel. There is an order to the gospel. Go to Ephesians. Okay, it's the next book, just like a couple pages over. Ephesians. Chapter 2. Ephesians 2, uh, we'll look at 8 and 9, verses 8 and 9 and 10. It says this, For by grace you are saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are His creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. There is an order to the gospel. Notice here. Number one, we are saved by grace through faith. It's by God's grace we're saved. And then number, number two, for good works. We're saved by grace through faith for good works. It is not the other way around. We do not receive grace after we have worked for salvation. That is a reversal of the gospel. And a popular way in culture of thinking is, is this morality-based thing. Or if I do enough good and I believe in God, obviously I'm going to heaven. And we think morality is the thing that, that when we stand before God is what he's going to judge us on. It's not just morality, it's total morality that he's going to judge us on. Total perfection that he's going to judge us on. We, we, we say, oh, well, I, I prayed a prayer one time, or I signed a card, or I walked an aisle, right? Or I, I aligned myself with a certain group of people, and I'm good, I'm a good person. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? No, it's, it's not the gospel. And the gospel, yes, is enough. The gospel is more than enough. So don't reverse the gospel. The morality, listen, morality can keep you out of jail, okay? Good, keep you out of jail. But morality will not keep you out of hell. Christ alone and his righteousness alone is what keeps us from judgment. And God wants us to have it. Jesus is handing it out like, here you go, you can have righteousness. You can have total perfection. You, don't have to, you can't earn it. You can't do a thing for it. It's by my grace through faith. So as you believe, as you, as you come before God in that state of, I've got nothing else. I need righteousness. He will fill you with it. He will give it to you. But morality will not give that to you. If morality could save us, then Jesus didn't have to die. Think we could do it on our own and be moral people. And it'd be really fair. It'd be easy for us. Well, you're moral, you're not. We, we can see where the line is. But really, can we? When it comes down to morality, can we really base it on how good I am versus how good you are? Or how good you are versus how good I am? Like, do we really want to go there? Because I don't want to go there. I don't want to be shown for what I really am in front of everybody. 
Because I'm not near good enough. And you're not near good enough. We desperately need his righteousness, and he's so willing to extend it. And listen, there's these people who say, and, and Judaizers would agree, come on, we believe in Jesus. There can't just be one way. There's got to be more than one way. You, you hear that ever? We should not complain that there's only one way to heaven. We should marvel in the fact that there is a way to heaven. Because without Jesus, we're hosed. We're sunk. We've all sinned and fallen short. He's like, I can take care of that for you, though. I'm ready to take care of that for you. And we wonder and marvel at the amazingness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then we, we don't reverse it. It's graced by faith for good works. It's not works that will earn you grace. All right? And once we're saved by His grace, we should live by grace. Go to number three. How do we contend? Well, we contend or battle with the truth. We battle with the truth. We're going back to the book of Galatians. Hopefully your ribbon is there. <coughs> Chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As I said before, I say again now, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. Listen, the, the Judaizers were misleading the Galatian churches, and they probably had these amazing credentials. They were looking up to them like, wow, you guys have done this a long time. You obviously know. You have the past history all down, and certainly you've seen Jesus, heard of Jesus, and you're talking about Jesus, so let's just all come together and we'll learn from you. We'll just follow your lead. And the Judaizers were happy to have that done. They, sure, you follow us. We're, we're going to get the power. We're going to get the prestige, and you're going to follow us, and, and you're going to embrace a gospel that's not a gospel at all. And that's a fear, right? Tradition and long adherence to those traditions gives them some clout. But if we are not discerning, we can certainly be impressed and even intimidated into believing something that may be false. And what Paul is saying is if you add something to the gospel, if you, you take away from the gospel, if you change the gospel and believe, what you've, believe in what you have changed it to be, it is no longer the gospel, and there is a curse. And listen, when sin entered the world, the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve sinned, right? When sin entered the world, there's a curse that entered the world. And you and I are all under this curse of sin. And we have to deal with it. We have to let Jesus deal with that sin curse. And what, what Paul is saying is like there's this curse. He says the, the word is uh, anathema. And it it's literally means devoted to destruction. We are all devoted to destruction without Christ Jesus. Without the gospel of grace, that's what we are. We're devoted to destruction and judgment for our own sin that we cannot pay for and can accomplish anything to pay for it. Anything other than the gospel will not make you right with Jesus, is what he's saying. Listen, there's going to, and, and he was pretty upset. The, these leaders were, were throwing them astray. Listen, those guys are cursed. They do not have the gospel. They are not saved. Don't listen to them. Anything other than the gospel will not make you right with Jesus. They were there to, to lure people, right, into, into false teaching. And there, there is no other cure besides Jesus. There's no other rescue. There's no other hope. There's no other life. And there's no other peace. What false teachers will give is the warm and fuzzies. And that's kind of what we're drawn to, isn't it? We talked about that last week, the fuzzy grace, right? The warm and fuzzy. 
Turn to 2 Corinthians. It's the book right before this. You'll see it on the other page probably. Chapter 11. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 12 through 15. Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. But I will continue to do what I am doing in order to cut off the opportunity of those who want an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in what they are boasting about. So he's like, I'm not going to let people side with us who aren't the same. There's the red team and the blue team. There's Jesus' team and someone else's team, right? We aren't, we aren't going there. We aren't letting them come and say, oh, yeah, we're all the same. We're all good. In verse 13, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself is disguised as an angel of light. So it is no great thing uh, if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their destiny will be according to their works. It sets it up real good. This, this curse, right? This curse is that you will answer for your own sin and let your works speak for themselves. I don't want to stand before God and allow that to take place. I know that my works cannot erase what I have done. They may outweigh, but they cannot erase. So he's saying, these false teachers, let, let them go. Stay away from them. Let them go. Let them, let them be judged by their works. And when they are, they will be sorely surprised at what they find there. And, and listen, many false teachers, many false beliefs or false religions are attractive because they appeal to us emotionally. And it's, it's not bad to have emotion. But it's bad to embrace a faith in Christ only based on emotion alone. Because our emotions change, don't they? Last week I was this, this week I'm this, who knows what happens next week, right? My emotions are going to change. It's kind of a roller coaster that happens. And these false teachers or false religions that are attractive because they appeal to emotion. There's love and there's unity, there's harmony, it's going to be great, you're going to feel good. They're, they're popular because they say a lot of, of warm and fuzzy things that make people feel good. Like, oh, that makes me feel good. I just, I just needed to hear some good news today. And it's not really good news. It's pushing them away from God. It's warm and fuzzy, but it's not truth. So why are they so appealing to us? Well, we said it earlier, false teaching appeals to a, a weak mind and our ego, an insecure ego. Look at Barnes & Noble. You walk in there, there's aisles and aisles and aisles of self-help books. And I'm not saying self-help books are all, all in all bad. There's, there's a place maybe for some content because God created us in his image and we have science and that, that people can still know and understand proper way of living and reconciling and, and building relationships because we're created in God's image. But we have an authority that we are to go to first. And we have an authority that we are to test everything a gift against. And it's not about me building up my ego. It's about me lessening my ego and that when I decrease, he might increase in my life. It's not about me having it all together. It's that, that I don't have it together and Jesus does, so I'm going to run to Jesus. We run to Jesus. That is where our hope lies. It's in Christ. And we can't go to these places that are going to be empty just because we want our warm and fuzzy button pushed. They appeal to our ego, and it seems like what is best because Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. For you and I, we are not to tolerate the distortion of God's word and the message of the gospel. The test of a person's ministry or message that they present 
should not be about popularity or miracles and signs and wonders, but about the faithfulness to God's word. That is our litmus test. And I I told you last week, test me. Test what I say. Go here and test it. Because this is the test. We constantly need reminders about the gospel of grace. And Peter says this in 2 Peter 1. He says, Therefore I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you have. I consider it right, as long as I am in this bodily tent, as long as I'm alive, to wake you up with a reminder. We ought to wake up with a reminder every day of the gospel and what it is and, and what it isn't. And we would be aware of those false teachers trying to pull us astray or add something to it. And we'd help our brothers and sisters along the same way. And we'd give them a wake-up call. Hey, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Come back to the gospel. Because when we really embrace the gospel, we can live, live by it too. We can live by grace in a way that people see their need for the gospel, their need for Jesus. We need to be reminded of the truth, and then we need to battle with that truth. Finally, number four, how do we contend? We seek to please God, not people. We seek to please God, not people. Look at verse 10, back in Galatians. He said all his peace, right? He said it all. He got it out there, and it wasn't easy for him to say. There were, there were accusations made at some point by the Judaizers saying, listen, this guy's probably just trying to tickle your ears. He's trying to make you feel good. He's probably saying, saying the same thing we're saying, right? And these Judaizers wanted the hearts of these people that were in their midst. And Paul's like, no, I, I can't. I'm not going to hold any punches back. I'm going in, and I'm swinging for the fences. Let's go. And he says at the end of it, after he's, after he's said, let these guys be cursed. They're going to hell. They don't have the true gospel. They're going to stand in judgment for their own works because they haven't haven't embraced Jesus. What he says to the Galatian churches, he says, listen, verse 10, for am I now trying to win the favor of people or of God? Have you ever done that before? You've said some hard stuff and you're like, man, that person does not like me anymore. That person did not like what I just had to say. And you're like, in my mind, you know what? I pleased God. I did what was faithful to God. I'm just going to go with it. That's what he's doing. He says, or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a good slave or servant of Jesus Christ. Paul says, my motivation when I contend for the gospel is not to please people. I, I think you and I can probably agree. I, I know I, it's for me for sure. Even today, I'm, I, probably because it's more fresh in my mind, I'm seeing ways that I'm tempted to please people instead of please God. Where I'm tempted to, I look over, I wonder if that person, what that person thought. Oh, I wonder how they feel about this. Oh, I wonder, I'm tempted to do that instead of just like, let God be God and be faithful to him. And that's what Paul said. If we want to contend for the gospel, it's not about people pleasing. It's about saying the hard things sometimes that need to be said. I talked to somebody between services about this, and and they they were talking about this, sharing their faith, right? And, And saying a little more meat instead of watering it down so much. I'm like, yeah, say it. You know, God, God has put us in relationships and in friendships and in, in, in contact with people. And those are divine appointments. Who's going to take care of that? He is. So don't water down his message. Speak the truth in love to people. Let them hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Because if they don't hear the gospel, they hear another gospel, which is really no gospel at all, is it? And we're telling them bad news. So for, Speak. Be okay speaking and, and do, it, do it in a way that pleases God and seeks to please God and doesn't please 
people. The servants of God, you and I, will be constantly tempted to compromise the message in order to attract and please people. There was a movement, it's still kind of here a little bit in, in America and Christendom. There was a movement years ago about seeker-friendly churches. You might have been part of that. You might have gone on that bandwagon for a while. Okay, I get it. We're not about seeker being seeker-friendly. Because seeker-friendly churches, what they did is they compromised truths of Scripture and the message of the gospel in order to bring more people whose ears could be tickled. And they felt when their pews filled up and, oh, yeah, this is great, we're in community. And maybe you're a product of that even. Maybe you went to a seeker-friendly church and you really have never heard and understood the gospel clearly. You felt like this church thing was warm and fuzzy and it was good and I, I found a church and I wanted to come to it. it. I'm glad you're here. We're, we're about people. Listen, my heart is not against people who don't know Jesus. My heart is absolutely for them. I want our communities to know Jesus Christ as Savior through our love for them. But the church, as we gather, as we go to the Word, this here is for the church. And if you're not a part of the church, that's okay. You can be here. But this is truth, and we're not going to water it down so you feel good. The message of the gospel penetrates to the heart and cuts to the core of a person. And either they will, in pride, swell up and say, I don't want anything to do with that. I can do it on my own. Or in humility, they will go to their knees, repent of their sin, and let Jesus fill them up. That's what the gospel does. We are not here as the church to please people. We're here to love Jesus and serve him only. And then through that service and obedience to Jesus, we serve and love our neighbor as ourselves. Not with a watered-down message, because that's not love. With the message and hope of Jesus Christ through the gospel. We are not politicians. We are ambassadors of the message of Jesus Christ. Amen? We're not going to play this political thing. We're not going to not answer the question. We're going to answer the question and be ambassadors for Christ. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, The fear of man is a snare. You want to please people? It's a snare. But the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. In verse 26, it says, Many seek a ruler's favor, but a man receives justice from the Lord. Those neighbors, those coworkers, those family members who you're, you're kind of watering the gospel down, down with, right? they're not going to be the ones standing there on judgment day and saying, man, you really said too many hard things to me. You're going to be standing before God, and he's going to ask you, what did you do with my message? How did you share my message? You don't have to answer to your neighbor. You have to answer to God. I have to answer to God for the purity of the gospel. So we need to seek to please God and not people. I, I want what I live and what I proclaim to be pleasing to God. I want to contend for the amazing truth that Jesus plus nothing is everything. Amen? Let's stand together and pray. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God, that it's living and active, that it, it judges the thoughts and hearts and minds of your children. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see your truth and your wisdom, that we would in, be in awe, in supreme awe of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We would let that message sink into our hearts, and we would hold on to that and be reminded daily as a wake-up call that that is the gospel and there's nothing else that is. 
Help us not reverse the gospel or change the gospel or, or, or tweak it into something different. But help us keep it straight in our hearts and our minds. And God, may we be bold as we contend for the gospel and share the gospel, boldly proclaiming it because we serve to please you and no one else. We thank you that you are all about us, that your grace is sufficient. We want to glorify you and worship you and give you all the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close, it's again an opportunity to respond. Every, every week we give that opportunity. Whether you need to pray right where you are or you want to pray with me, I'll be down here in front. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you just need to worship. You need to like get this right. Like God, thank you so much for your grace. I don't know if you, well, you've seen it or not. As you, as you look at these, the songs we sing, this is, this is truth. This is Scripture being sung. It's scripture about God's amazing grace, right? What's the song, the most famous hymn? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see because of his amazing grace and that we worship him with that. As we sing, we worship him for what he's done and who he is. Whatever, whatever you need to do in response to God, you need to pray where you are, you need to grab somebody across the aisle and say, hey, come pray with me, friend. Maybe you need to worship you need to bow or kneel or you want to come up front and, and pray with me. Whatever God's doing, whatever he's leading you to do in your heart, you respond. Go ahead, clap along. I'll get you excited here. Rise among us, let it rise. The songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the joy of the King rise among us. Let it rise. Let it rise to the one and only.
God. Amen. He alone is worthy. He is glorious. So good to see you here today. Hey, remember to take your blue card if you didn't put it in the offering plate and you want to check in with Chase and Alistair out at the kiosk. They're ready to update whatever you might want them to do for you so you don't have to touch that nasty computer. All right? Let's close in prayer. Father, you are a good, good God. You're a good Father. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Help us to embrace that grace every day and that as we embrace grace, give us the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.